that's fine. I quite like quite like a bit of that. <laughs> so I you would, can be much more relaxed anymore. I, I would have I would have combed my hair if you told me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we always need to say that uh, this is a kind of a video cast, not a typical audio uh, podcast. Sure. That, yeah, and we should be um, coming live at the moment. If we are already live, uh, welcome to, to our audience. I'm already here with uh, Theo Rosendich, the VP uh, EMEA at TalkDesk. Let's just wait another 30 seconds as people join us in the conversation before we kind of compress all the lessons uh, throughout your career Ooh. and scaling up companies. And I know that you have a, a very interesting um, career path from what I saw on LinkedIn and, and we are actually live. So welcome to our audience to the Scale Up Valley uh, podcast. Uh, you can see pre previous episodes about the scaling up journey of some of the best tech companies uh, in the world at scaleupvalley.com uh, slash community. Uh, this is the 62nd uh, episode of the podcast, and we have the pleasure of hosting today Tion Rosendich, the VP EMEA at uh, TalkDesk. Uh, Tion, thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Uh, thanks for having me online. And uh, apologies, I'm, st I'm stuck at home today. I've been, uh, been on conference call back to back. Uh, forecast calls today and uh, deal reviews and also a lot of uh, a lot of good business happening so uh, you stuck you caught me in my attic here in my in my study <laughs> that's that's awesome and uh, before we we actually start our um, our conversation i would just like to congratulate uh, eric yuan and um, nick Chong from zoom for their IPO, they've been strong supporters of what we do and trying to help as much as they, as they can. So we are really, really happy at the Scale Up Valley team to congratulate you for the amazing milestone and wishing you to, to keep scaling in the future uh, for, for the next milestones. So coming back to, to you, Tion, I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation. Uh, yeah, we kind of know very well, uh, talk as we had on the show, um, CK, your VP of product. Um, we have as regular moderator of your, our engineering episodes, Pedro Torres, your director of engineering uh, of the office in, in Porto. We'll have soon Shana from the talent uh, team. So, and, and we know that you have roots in Portugal, but you have really scaled where the majority of the leadership team is based in, in the US. And uh, happy to see that you are coming back to, to EMEA with, with a very strong uh, presence, uh, presence and uh, kind of conquering the market here as well. And, uh, but before we go there, uh, it would be nice to understand what has been your career until now, and, uh, and then let's, let's do the, the, the jump for, for TalkDesk. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I must say I haven't had a typical career. I'm a, I'm a very interesting uh, individual. I um, when I left uh, university, I, I originate from South Africa, as you can hear from my accent, uh, Johannesburg. I I went to school and grew up in Johannesburg my whole life. Um, and when I left university, I actually I studied business. I moved into my own company immediately. So I was an entrepreneur from day one, uh, which was a fantastic, uh, how can I say, foundation to the way that I, I work and the way that my mind thinks. So I'm very much of a person that's always had 
uh, opportunities in my career and have looked for opportunities into my career to build businesses, uh, to you know, grow teams, um, to support the growth of individuals, and and really to have you know go through that journey of of growth. So um, when I when I left, I, I had my own company. Like I said, it was a, a technology company. I did very well. Um, I sold the, my shares off, and I moved into the UK at that point. Uh, and I worked for a number of large and small sized. Um, American, mainly American software companies um, over the few years. So people like BMC Software, um, I also worked for uh, Marimba and also a few other companies which are, which are really, really strong. Uh, most recently, uh, I worked for Genesis and also worked for um, X Matters. Um, where I actually had a really strong ride. I mean, Exodus was a lot of fun. Again, also growing teams and establishing their, uh, their European operation, uh, which was a, a huge amount of fun. That's that's awesome. And um, and why talk desk uh, yeah. at this moment on your career? And just present uh, briefly for the ones who have didn't have yet opportunity to learn about talk desk. What sure. what talk desk does, please? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So I mean, talk desk. I always say to people is a very very special company. Um, you know, I think where where talk desk are on their whole, um, if you want to call it hype cycle, where they are on their kind of their their, their growth. Uh, trajectory. I think they're in a very special position. Um, as a company, um, they, what they do is, you know, they, they don't do anything specifically amazing as far as, you know, something, you know, completely different to what other people do. But what they do it, they just do it so much better. They do it with so much more elegance and with so much more ease of use. So as, a, as an application, um, they provide, you know, contact center software in the cloud, but they are the new uh, fresh version of that. They are the cloud two providers. So the way that the products architected, the way that they built businesses being built around being, you know, very scalable, being very uh, uh, customer centric, uh, and also being very um, adaptable to their marketplace and to the ecosystems that they operate in. It's a, it's a very special company. Um, why I joined? Absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't join a special company that's growing at a, at a phenomenal rate? So it's, it's a really interesting place to be. So, um, you know, I think what, what made me join is, you know, I was, I was really looking for, you know, Genesis, I was, I was very happy there. But, you know, as an organization, they've been around for 30 years and, and I went there for a very specific reason. Um, and I was looking for a company that really was had a, a very, very, you know, high growth trajectory. And that's really what attracted me to TalkDesk. Uh, I obviously knew the market from Genesis, so I knew the contact center market very well, the challenges of the, the market in, in Europe, et cetera. And, you know, combining that with, with a high growth and my entrepreneurial background to come to work for TalkDesk was a, a perfect uh, kind of combination. Um, and I think the things as well that attracted me to the business were, you know, the leadership of the company. Um, you know, Tiago is a, is a fantastic person and, and also the way he's grown the business and really the humble beginnings of where TalkDesk has come from have been very inspirational. And, and I, you know, I, I enjoy working with people with a lot of character uh, and he definitely has a lot of character, which is great. So, you know, his vision is kind of, um, you know, it's contagious and, and you know, it's, it's good to have people around you which have the same kind of views as you do. And it's amazing the the leadership team that is putting together uh, during the the last years. It's it's really really impressive. It seems that I'm always uh, when I think that the team is done, it is always surprising us with uh, another uh, monster. Let's say absolutely in the, in the friendly way uh, joining the team. So and why EMEA at this stage of the company? Sorry, do you mind just repeating that? The the line just dropped there for a second. Yeah, no worries. So I was saying that um, uh, why uh, EMEA at this stage? So uh, 
we know that uh, Talkdesk started um, almost in Portugal and wh that's where product engineering are, are based. Then it, Tiago went to, to the Valley where he has been there almost since the beginning of the company. And the, the sales side and the marketing side have scaled um, uh, amazingly in the US and uh, now time to come to, to EMEA and starting of course in, uh, I say of course, because that's usually the route uh, to, to EMEA starting with the UK. Yep. A very a very key markets there. So yeah, let us know why this is the the right timing to to scale yep. there, and and what are your plans, your mission? Ab for absolutely, absolutely. So you know, Europe for Talkdesk is a is a strategic uh, move. As a company, you know, we've had good success across uh, across the world, and especially in the US, where obviously we've been operating for the last few years. Um, and actually, as you know, uh, we have had operations in in Portugal for, for for a few years now as well, which have mainly been operational resources and operational operationally focused. But saying that, we've actually attracted about 250 customers across uh, the EMU region. So you know, wow. we have customers in you know in Germany. We've got a few in Russia. We've got all over the place, um, and these are you know, just companies that are really attracted to what we do um, because of the nature of our, our, the elegance of our solution and all the things I mentioned before. Um, but it really is an untapped market. But I think more to the point, I think the market we're in at the moment now, um, the contact center market and where it's going and also the customer experience market, it is such a buoyant market as far as, um, you know, every company that's looking to innovate and every company that's looking to grow, you know, on the top three agenda or top five agenda of their CEO is how do they service their customer? How do they drive innovation around their customer experiences? And how do they really, um, you know, build a business by being better at, at servicing their customers. So, you know, we appeal directly to that and we, we, we fit directly into that. So when you look at the growth in the marketplace, you know, you have to be in Europe in order to satisfy the demand. Um, and there is, a, you know, there are quite a few vendors in the market, as we know. Um, I'm well aware of the competition out there. Um, and we need to be in the fight because there will be a window of opportunity that we need to be part of, you know, and in three years from now, Europe will be a very different place. So we have to have a bit of a, a positioning and a land grab that we have to be part of. Um, so it's definitely a strategic play for us. And I think also where Talkdesk is going in the future as far as their, you know, their global growth and kind of where we want to grow as a business. Um, you know, having a very strong European presence, uh, a very strong operations presence, but also a very strong go-to-market organization um, has to be part of the overall plan. We can't be just be strong in, Euro in North America and then, you know, weak in, in, in Europe. We have to have a global presence and I'm sure you know in the future we'll even go you know further east into Asia Pacific that's the next on the horizon uh, maybe next year who knows it makes sense and uh, this is a, a very important point that we we can already start the conversation about scaling up and, and some of your lessons uh, there so usually what we see in the space is uh, when you you get to in the skill up journey, you tend to try to go to too many fronts, too many battles, and to not pick the, the battles where we can win. And of course, you have also reached the milestone of 500 people uh, worldwide. So we kind of have this feeling we are not anymore a startup. We can fight. Fast, in that sense, sometimes focus uh, can be uh, an issue. So, how how do you assure that that the team is is focused on those one, two, or three big rocks for yeah. for the company? And would you say, as you as you shared in the beginning, that this would be much more regarding 
providing an amazing customer experience uh, or customer support mm. um, service, or it could be much more on the acquisition uh, front. So the, the goal here would be to start serving clients closer to them or also uh, scaling our base, our base of clients. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, you know, you're right. I mean, you know, focus is so, so important. And I think, you know, we, I, I know from experience and, and also from, you know, seeing how many technology companies come to Europe um, without a proper strategy, without a proper focus, you, you can get very lost and, and waste a lot of resources and time uh, in the process. Um, you know, from our side, we've had a very, very uh, conscious journey of, of you know, establishing a base in, in, in the UK and growing across Europe from there. So from our perspective, it's very much of a, a kind of a conscious development in the way we're going about it. Does that answer your question? Uh, so you, you, you just broke up halfway through your question. I was just concerned I didn't get the whole thing there. Yeah, I, I'm also uh, feeling the same on your side. Hopefully the audience is, is getting the, um, the conversation uh, in full. But yeah, I was, I was saying that um, in terms of defining what are your big rocks for sure. 2019 and for 2021, uh, who do you say that your focus would be much more on retention and uh, kind of uh, yeah. serving even better your current customers or it would yep. be much more focused on acquisition, uh, expanding yep. across Europe to another market. So yep. if yep. you would need to define one of those uh, priorities, uh, would it be involved? Sure. No. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I think that's a good point actually. Um, and I think some companies get stuck in that kind of, if you want to call it, choice uh you know you either got to expand or we're going to you know satisfy what we have at the moment um you know one thing i did find very surprising about talkdesk when i joined is that the company's um ethos is is very very geared towards not just acquiring new customers but customer success so as a company, we, we put a huge amount of you know, focus in that area, um, very strong kind of executive leadership in that area as well. And, and also Tiago as well is passionate about referenceability of his client base, referenceability of success in the marketplace. And how do we make sure that our customers are successful and how do we um, publish that across the marketplace? So it's a, it's a way of us almost attracting new customers by being so fanatical about how we enjoy our customers to be successful and how we then publish their success. So it's actually, you can see how the two kind of link into each other. So it's, it's by keeping your customers happy, by publishing their success. Currently, guess what? We're growing the business as well. Um, it's, a, it's a very simplistic way of doing it, but absolutely the right way of doing it. So priorities are absolutely like that. And I think that's the, one, one of the strengths of us, you know, entering the European market with such a good presence in Portugal where we've got our, our customer success organization. Um, you know, we've, we've, it's a stable, you know, well-defined, well-run, established uh, ecosystem um, where we are, like I said, managing not only European existing customers, but also a lot of North American customers as well are, are managed through that area. So we've got that strength of, of positioning. So, you know, it makes my, love, my job a huge, much, much more easier when I can, you know, go prospect in London and we can attract new customers. And we've got this really established success customer base at the moment in place. 
This is a very good point that you raised it because usually that's that's the second point that we talk when we are um, discussing how to scale up a company, which is alignment. And sure. you just brought the importance of partnering with customer success mm. to also accomplish part of your goals and the other organization goals. So especially at this stage with uh, 500 plus uh, people across the world with different uh, time zones, almost since the beginning of, of, of the company, uh, sometimes it's difficult to keep everyone aligned and, and the business moving in, in the same direction. So what are some of your main challenges kind of connecting with, with the functional leaders, um, with the market leaders? Uh, so what, what are some of your challenges what, that you've been facing uh, yeah. when kind of putting everyone on the same page? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a, it, is, it is quite interesting because it's, uh, I think it's, a, I think we'll, we've, and I'll be frank now, we, I'm sorry we have more challenges in the future. Uh, I think we've, <laughs> we're fortunate enough to be also a company of, yes, we are 500 people, but we still have got a very close um, management team. We still got a very close culture of communication. Um, and I also think that, you know, Tiago's also been very wise in bringing together people that have the same, uh, you know, almost cultural working style. So, you know, naturally people slot in, they work together, they communicate well. And I think that's helped us align as when it comes to, you know, driving the business and making sure that we are all working in the same direction and pushing in the same direction. Um, in addition to that, although we are a pretty young company, um, we have also got a good cadence around setting the vision of the business so you know as an organization we've actually got a, a, a process an okr process which i'm sure you've heard about before yeah. so where you actually you know you publish the, the organization's goals and it basically trickles down through the organization so everyone's aware of it right from the ceo right down to the people that deliver it um, and that helps because it provides that structure around what we need to do and how we all need to kind of pull together so you know uh, as always you know there's work to be done but i've seen much worse in my career trust me <laughs> <laughs> that that's a very good point and uh, just for people to to follow why we are going into this direction in the conversation so we started by understanding mm. uh, a little bit of more who, who is tion and uh, how was his career uh, how you move it to talk desk why talk desk why EMEA now for talk this? Then we discuss it. Uh, how can we define the big rocks? You just summarize it now that you use the OKR system yep. to, to do it across the world, across functions, um, across markets, etc. cetera. And, uh, and now we were getting into more the alignment uh, issue and assuring that everyone is um, on the same page. Uh, and I was um, thinking that, of course, if you have clear what is your strategy, what you want to execute, if everyone is on board, if you are focused, now you need to have the right people. Um, mm on board. And I assume that, of course, uh, you said that uh, Talkdesk has a, uh, almost or uh, more than 20, 250 clients at mm -hmm. this stage in Europe, which is a very good start. I would not say a start. <laughs> uh, it, it's amazing. So um, what are your chances in terms of attracting talent to, mm -hmm. to a market as, as the UK, where maybe Talkdesk is not a, a uh, the strong brand as it is sure. in terms of brand awareness as, as in the US, for instance. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. And I think, you know, if you had to ask me what are my kind of top challenges in general, it is it is definitely attracting talent and, and, and building the team. Um, you know, so there's two, ports, two ports, uh, parts to this. You know, one is 
attracting talent, but then there's also attracting the right kind of talent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got very, very uh, big growth objection, objectives uh, in the marketplace. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I mentioned to you this already, or may, I may have not mentioned to you, but as a business, we, we are aiming to be about five, five, 50 to 60 people in the UK um, and across Siberia as a go-to-market organization. So, that, you know, that's excluding our operations uh, that we have in Portugal, our development support, et cetera, out there. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, a huge size. I mean, to give you some kind of a, an idea of scale, I mean, as a pure play contact center uh, a vendor, we would be, uh, I'd say the largest one um, from a just a go-to-market team perspective, mm-hmm. if you exclude all the additional uh, components. So we're going from, from you know, I'd say very small to that in a year. So that's a, that's a fantastic growth. So with that comes huge amounts of pressure as far as growing the team. Um, and and it's, it is very tough. Uh, as far as how to deal with that type of growth and what we've seen works, it is, it is very much by leveraging every single resource that you have available to you. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, as an example, we do not use external consultancies, so we don't use agencies at all. Uh, we have a policy internally, which I think has actually helped us a bit because it's actually helped us to kind of focus our attention on using resources that we have more control over. And what I mean by that is we have an internal talent team uh, that is, you know, at the moment now, we've just got now some talent managers in the UK, but before we were using the the, the, uh, European and the American talent uh, agencies, uh, sorry, talent team in our company. But it's about leveraging the actual team that we have existing. So it's about using our own networks and actually trying to, you know, know, just using the network and pushing, pushing, pushing further. Just, and by that, we've actually managed to attract some, some absolutely fantastic people um, and I think that if you if you put some effort behind it you can you can achieve some really strong results and you know so far uh, we've actually built the team out um, you know we're approaching now 20 people already um, we started to do the development from uh, you know January 3rd as far as growing the team and we you know we are a few months in and we're already up to 20 and we've got another 30 people to go so you know from that perspective you can see the growth um, and like I said, you know, really strong people, really strong backgrounds. And we've also been, when you look at the kind of talent that we're looking for, it is, it is the right kind of talent or the right kind of DNA. So, you know, not everyone's the right kind of person to work for TalkDesk, um, as I'm sure, you know, everyone's got their, their certain profile that we're looking for. But, you know, the kind of company we are being quite a disruptive organization, also having a certain amount of dynamism to how we work. We're very quick. We're very agile. Um, and we, we, we also are a kind of a no-nonsense type of business as well. So, you know, we, we, we don't have time for politics. We don't have time for, 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 you know, wasting time. It's all about how do we satisfy customers? How do we make them successful? And how do we move forward? We attract those kind of people. So we've been lucky and we, we really do put a lot of energy and effort in the process of finding people and then putting them through a very strict process that we go through the recruitment process to get them on board and doing that in a very short amount of time as well so that's a, a, another key challenge and that's that's a very good point uh, and uh, we just and maybe before going there i i was thinking about going deeper into the onboarding um, process where there is always a lot of learnings but before and to make the the question even uh, more interesting to to the audience as well uh, would be what kind of roles are you hiring at this stage uh, of the company? Yeah, yeah, I'm perfect. Well, again, so that's a good question. So, as a, as I for my particular area, which is obviously the go to market group, um, the main focus is sales. Uh, we have two roles: it's commercial and enterprise salespeople. 
Um, then we also have, you know, the additional supporting functions around that. So that would be your solution engineers or sales engineers, you want to call them. Uh, we also have channel people, marketing people, and then another layer of people around that which support us as well. So um, we also have, you know, the talent managers, sales operations, um, etc. So it's a it's a kind of a it's the whole go-to-market organization that we have, uh, but very much focused on the, the key component, which is the sales side. Not to forget about the management as well, because, you know, when you've got 50, 60 people, there's a layer of management or two layers of management involved there as well. Got it. And uh, in terms of where the mailings setting up the process of onboarding, I know that this question is really global. Uh, sure. You might have some particularities in, in the local process. Sure. But is there any kind of lessons or learning uh, points that you would like to share with the audience about yep. things that are improving your onboarding uh, process? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think a few things. I mean, one number one, I think you have to you have to keep it simple. That's number one. I think sometimes people over-engineer the onboarding process and over-engineer um, the actual ramp-up process for people, okay. uh, which extends the timescales out and, and creates a lot of confusion sometimes. So keep it simple. The other thing is set expectations from day one. I think that's one of the things I've really learned is, you know, that, those first, that first week, that first day that somebody joins your company, if you give them the right impression and you set uh, you know, the, the aspirations and the expectations from day one, from the first minute, from the first second, from the first hour, it makes a huge difference to the entire um, experience that person will have in the company. Um, mm -hmm. And we've seen it in the past, you know, we, we, you know, we've even made mistakes where, you know, unfortunately, maybe somebody starts at the wrong time or the structure wasn't perfect on that particular day. And we've seen that person's just taken that extra few weeks to get to a, a level. Whereas with other people, when you've just got that focus from day one, and you really set those, uh, those expectations from day one. And the expectations I'm talking about are just the cadence of what you expect from their role, a very clear understanding of what their performance uh, uh, metrics are. And I'm talking about salespeople, for example, and also making sure they understand the culture of how people work in the company. Um, so we tend to be quite focused on, you know, a, 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 um, activity and also making sure that people are kind of you know using the tools that we have in our company. Uh, so when we find when people are, um, you know, we give when we give them the right structure from day one they are a different a different animal absolutely and uh, it comes back to our first discussion a little bit um around the okrs and and the focus um question uh, and i have already two points that uh, that kind of emerged this from this conversation which is the um, the segment discussion and the geographical market uh, discussion. So let's start with the segment discussion. Um, and I'm sure that again, in, in the US and in the global US uh, discussions several times. So usually people that say that companies who are trying to reach out, not in the scale up stage, but uh, in the earlier stage to go to uh, SMEs and to enterprise or to mid-sized companies to enterprise, this is a difficult jump. And sometimes they need to compromise sales and results or targets on the short term to have um, higher targets on, on the long term. So what are your learnings there? So doing the jump from uh, SMEs to enterprise and at the same time keeping two segments, uh, how do you structure the team to kind of serve those two priorities without getting overwhelmed and distracted? 
yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, it's, it is a, it has been a challenge for our company, uh, and um, you know, I I may be not the right person to fully describe the challenges because I wasn't here when the challenges were were in place. But you know, you know, I'll say two three years ago, you know, the, the company went through that pain of really moving from a SME organization into much more of an enterprise company. But you know, today when you look at the kind of companies we're servicing and the kind of roles, you know, the kind of customers we're attracting, they are definitely enterprise you know some of the largest banks in the world we're speaking to at the moment um and and you know you name it you know a, a telco etc cetera, etc cetera. we've got some really strong strong um, um interesting projects on at the moment um i think the, you know the transition is is interesting because uh, as we all know you know the SME side is much more of a tactical velocity involved, and there's a lot more, um, you know, focus on the dynamism of the cell versus actually, uh, you know, getting deeper into the actual structure and the strategy of what needs to be done. So th those are very different disciplines, and and you can't have, you know, uh, you know, a, a sales team which is, you know, doing both sides. You need to have a segmentation, and you also need to have the efficiencies of scale when it comes to that. So you know, there's an element of building the sales team to be an enterprise sales team. There's not just building the team; you have to get the right people with the right profile. They have to have the right experience, and then you also have to, you know, equipment with the right training, and 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 make sure they they know what they need to be, they know what needs to be done, and a lot of that, you know, you you cannot learn overnight. It does come from experience. Uh, so you need to have people that are very experienced, that do understand how how enterprise sales works, and have you know, and has achieved success in, success in the past. So you know, I think you know, Tiago did make some very specific, um, or specific intentional hires in that area. Uh, so a colleague of mine, um, my opposite number in the US, uh, uh, Rolf, who's come on board from Genesis as well, and, and he runs the enterprise sales team uh, in the US. And you know, those type of people we need in the company because they have a view of what needs to be done and how we do things. Um, as far as you know, our segmentation, uh, I think I mentioned to you earlier, we have two roles, commercial and enterprise. Um, you know, they are both strategic to us as a company. Um, they just play in different parts of the marketplace. And for us, you know, the, the commercial side is, we, you know, is, is looking at companies that are a very, you know, they are smaller type of companies. They tend to be companies with employee sizes of somewhere between, you know, 200 to 500 people. Um, we can obviously scale slightly lower than that. And then on the enterprise side, it's looking at companies from 300 to, you know, upwards from that hundreds of thousands of people potentially even. So, and, and, you know, the, the sales team will, as you can appreciate, it's very different because, you know, in the commercial side, they, they are very quickly getting into quite senior people in the company. They can make a decision quite quickly and the deal sizes are, are lower. The amount of people that you need to get involved in those deals, the value you need to build is slightly different. And it's, it can be done in a much higher velocity. Uh, on the enterprise side, it can be quite challenging. And that's where you need the experience because, you know, it does, it's not easy to get stuck into a, a global bank and, and navigate a, you know, a 12, 18, 24 month sales cycle with potentially, you know, a hundred stakeholders who have all got a political alignment in order to get the outcome that you need. So that kind of thing needs a lot of, um, you know, a lot of focus and you need to have the right experience. So, uh, and, and that's, that's why you have to hire the right people, I'd say. Absolutely. And, and this might, might be a good question. I, I'm sure that uh, a lot of the scale-up executives that are um, listening or that will be listening this uh, conversation later um, have in their minds. Uh, so how do I get, if they are especially venture backers, how do I get to 100 million uh, ARR and they are doing their 
calculations of what would be the average contract value and what would be the number of, of customers that they would need to multiply in order to get to this magical magical number and at the same time getting the pressure on sales and on targets and kind of saying uh, you know we are doing the right thing so we are growing number of customers and we are also growing on revenues and maybe a bet on enterprise as you said might have results in 24 months so mm -hmm. and uh, we don't want to wait to see that the company will be scaling much faster but uh, it will take an investment also in terms of cash uh, which might be the the last point of um, of this conversation and so what would you say so which you should start segmenting the team uh, to be one person kind of owning one of the segments and another person owning another segment and building their teams across marketing and sales and customer success. I, I believe that it has also an impact there. Uh, so what would you be your um, advice? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think the, the, it's, it's one of those interesting ones as far as, you know, how big your teams are. Obviously, when you've got a small team, you have to sometimes, you know, everyone has to kind of muck in and help as much as possible. Yeah. As soon as your team starts to grow out, I mean, I'm a firm, I'm a, I'm a big believer in specialization. So having a scenario where there's as much specialization as possible within the team uh, and there's, a, a, there's measurement and there is an you know, analysis on people's performance and reporting so that you understand kind of how do you industrialize the sales process um, as much as possible. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big, big thing that we are very focused on. And that's why we are, we are you know, able to, I believe, to kind of grow at the, at the levels that we're growing. Because, you know, we've looked at this with a very kind of intentional view of saying, you know, it all has to boil down into some, you know, meaningful activities that kind of build and grow with the plan to actually achieve the kind of uh, opportunities that we need to grow to. So for us, you know, we, we are very, very focused on pipeline, focused on how do you, how do you make pipeline? And I think organizations, a lot of the time, what they do is they, they get, they get um, distracted by, um, you know, uh, various things along the way when they start growing, but you have to do the right things every day. It's very much of a, you know, do the right things constantly every single day. Make sure you're watching your business. Make sure that you are building a repetitive model as far as how you are generating pipeline, how you're maturing the pipeline, how you're measuring the activity that's supporting that pipeline. And then you have to have the right sales execution, the right sales discipline in the sales team in order to kind of, you know, drive those results through. So, you know, when you get that, that ecosystem running properly and you get the specialization in place, that's really where you can start then tweaking it to make it as optimal as possible. But um, yeah, hopefully that answers part of your question. <laughs> it's, it's not an easy one. And it might be, of course, the topic of an entire- uh, Absolutely, absolutely. Of, of a podcast. But uh, yeah, you, you just introduced a, an interesting topic, which is accountability. And sure. uh, talking about alignment, focus, uh, and coming back to accountability and having the discipline and the routines in place to measure the right metrics, to take the right decisions, to meet um, daily, weekly, monthly. So how does your meeting rhythms or your adults uh, work to keep everyone on the same page and to keep everyone accountable? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in, you know, if you want to, if you want something done, you measure it. It's a, it's an old saying, but it actually, it works pretty well. Um, and I also think it's, it's people, people 
uh, especially with, with, you know dealing up obviously I deal a lot with salespeople, but salespeople like to know kind of how are they measured and what's important, and then not only just giving them the, the actual measurements, but actually explaining to them the reasons why they're important. Um, and I think you know once the business buys into that, I think you can get a lot more buy into what you're trying to achieve. And and we spend a lot of time in educating our organization, educating our team to understand the reasons we are measuring certain things and, and why we're doing it and, and we're getting a, a really strong result coming back. Um, you know, we, we measure the, 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 the fundamentals. So, you know, the basics, if you want to call it that. Uh, mm-hmm. So the key things, you know, calls made, emails sent, the basics like that. But then we also look at other things. Like we look at, for example, you know, how are people managing their accounts and how are they exp- expanding the reach in their accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also look at obviously pipelines. So we're looking at things like, you know, how is pipeline maturing over time? Um, so, you know, how are deals progressing through the funnel and w- at what stages and what timescales they're moving through the funnel? Um, and the ramp up as far as uh, supporting the sales team is also very important. And this comes back to your earlier question about, you know, how do we onboard salespeople? So as hard as it is to find somebody, you can't just find somebody, you know, put them in a role and say, go knock yourself out. It's a case of how do you support them? Because, you know, you spend so much time and energy finding a person, training the person, onboarding the person. And if they're not going to be successful, you know, you effectively kind of push yourself back six months to a year to find somebody else and go through the pain of finding a new person. So you've got a lot of investment in that person. And, you know, one thing that I'm a firm believer in is that you need to make that person successful. So, you know, if you've gone through the pain of hiring them and making them, putting them in the role, you have to go through the pain of then making sure they're successful. And I think, you know, when you, when you uh, surround a person with, a, with all that structure, with the measurement, with the support that they need, and then also give them the vision that they need in order to be successful. So they understand why they're doing things and they understand how their role fits into the global you know, opportunity. Um, you can get a lot of performance out of somebody. And that's really what I like to like to focus on. And then if you if you layer on that, obviously the measurement's there, so that if you find a scenario where you know the numbers are not adding up, you can then quickly jump on that and say, how do we support you further? And, and, and support the person, you know, in, in longer term. And talent success, kind of a, a new word yeah. <laughs> for, for the discussion and for a new function and a new role. And in, and in terms of meeting rhythms, do you have any kind of weekly meeting uh, putting together all the sales team? So how, how does it work? Yeah, absolutely. So you're asking me some nice technical questions, which is good. I, I like it. So I, I'm also a firm believer in I like to start the week and I like to end the week. And I think, you know, that's a really good thing. So we have a, a we call it a, a kind of a, a meeting huddle, a sales huddle every Monday morning. Um, and it's a really, really, really important part of the week actually for the salespeople. So we start off, we review what we've got to do, and we look at kind of the performance from last week and we look at the goals for the future week. Uh, and we do that as a sales team. It gets everyone going. It gets everyone fired up. It gets everyone honed in on what they what they need to achieve for that week. Uh, we also include other functions. So we bring in marketing. We bring in uh, the technical side of our business. We bring in the channel side, so that everyone's got the opportunity to understand. Okay, you know, you're doing really well. You need support. What do we need to do? And, and I think people enjoy that framework. Uh, Monday mornings, like I said, are always a good time. Not too early, but not too late. Um, and then, and then. And then Fridays, we actually loved ending the week on a particular uh, a kind of a high as well. So a little bit more of a, um, I'd say more of an educational type of session, 
Uh, we did ours at half past four this afternoon, UK time. So we spend about in a half an hour to an hour with the entire team. We expand that actually to a wider group. So we include our SDRs or our sales development people. And then what we do is we, we basically talk through best practices, learnings from the week. We talk about, you know, how can we all improve? And you'd be surprised what really good sharing happens between the team, you know, people coming forward and, and saying, you know, I've, I've discovered this new tool or, you know, I really learned something really interesting and people love it. So it's a really good way of kind of sharing information and you end on a high, you, you end the week and you go from there. And, you know, we, we're pulling people together from multiple geographical locations. And I think people also quite appreciate the fact that we are all together on a team together as one call, which is pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously, in addition to that, we do sales meetings, QBRs, forecast calls, all those fun things that people usually do. Got it. And this is a very, very interesting point that, um, that I like. I, I would love to have, a, again, an entire podcast with you just to go through it and understand the template of the agenda and how do you keep the morale of the team. Because yeah, usually uh, companies, um, especially when they are transitioning from a startup stage to a scale-up stage, uh, eight bureaucracy, eight meetings, eight any kind of structure, and believe that they have been having some success because they didn't have the, that kind of structure of corporates and, and so on, and they don't want to have structure. And then they start realizing that the system is broken <laughs> and they need to have some structure in any way, because if not, they will not scale uh, sure. at all. So then they start making uh, uh, possible that everyone knows the strategy. What are the main priorities for the company for the long-term, mid-term and, and short-term? And then we come back to execution. So we need to keep everyone aligned uh, in a daily basis, in a weekly basis, in a monthly basis, because the, the business is always changing. And uh, in the scale-up stage, it can change even more than the startup stage. There is much more iterations, much more people involved in the process. So it can be overwhelming even to be updated about everything that is going on uh, in the business. And an important way of keeping everyone updated is by having uh, amazing meetings, amazing meeting experiences. And usually those meetings are the last thing that people want to join, uh, especially when they have very aggressive targets and they want to be outside every meetings with clients and trying to sure. achieve their quotas. So how do you keep people motivated first to not start missing uh, weekly meeting after weekly meeting and mm -hmm. kind of saying, come on, you need to come because it's part of your duty to come sure. uh, in, and, and having people excited about, yes, I will have a weekly meeting and we will revise all the process. I will learn a lot from our, my colleagues. And uh, as you said, I will be energized to start the week with even more energy and more learnings on the pocket. As yep. a leader, how do you create this environment? That's yeah, that's uh, so a good point. So no, I think, you know, I'll be frank with trial and error. Uh, I have made mistakes in the past and, and I have had a few dud meetings in my past as well. But I think a few things. The first thing is, I think, clear expectations on what people need to do is very important. So, you know, everyone likes to perform well and everyone likes to be part of a meeting. I'm a firm believer in getting people involved. So everyone needs to know that they have a deliverable in that meeting. It's not the case of we get 15 people on the phone, mm -hmm. one person talks for half an hour and everyone just goes nods, nods. No, everyone's participating and they've all got a role to play. So it's important people understand what their role is and how they contribute. Um, but the other point I think is quite important is, you know, we, we I don't, I, I've learned over time is that a meeting must deliver value. And, and it's, it's all good and well saying, you know, you work for this company, we will there, we will tell you information and you've just got to listen to us. The reality is people zone out and, um, you know, more so if there's no video call. <laughs> but yeah. um, 
I think the point here is that, you know, you need to realize that what is the value of this? What is the value of what you're telling people? And also there needs to be a certain amount of, um, how can I say, I'm not going to say entertainment. No, I'm not going to say entertainment, but the delivery of that value is important as well because you need to hold people's attention. So, you know, if you come in with a very dry message for half an hour, an hour, people are not going to engage with that. So it's about how do you package that up? And there's a certain amount of preparation that's needed as well. So for example, if you can imagine, you know, our end of week meetings are called TGIF, you know what that means. Mm -hmm. um, and we basically, you know, before we do that meeting, it's not just we all jump on a call and it's a very simple thing. We actually have preparation calls for that subject matter. We agree on the subject matter. We, we prepare what we're going to be showing. We prepare slides and we don't make it dry. We make it a bit, you know, there's, there's motion happening. We have videos showing. We talk between ourselves. We've got some energy in the room. And I think that's important. And you can hear from people's engagement in the meeting, you know, that they enjoy it. So I think, you know, it's what you put in is what you get out. And I think it's expectation setting around the table as far as what you expect from people to bring to the meeting. Got it. And uh, we are almost uh, at the end of this conversation and so many questions, so many points that I'd like to approach. Sure. Uh, I, and we didn't expand also on the geographical structure of, of a sales team, but I'd like to, to close with the last piece of the scaling up framework that we keep discussing week after week, mm -hmm. uh, which is the cash uh, components. Of course, okay. um, the, the sales team, uh, need some time to start creating value. At the same time, the good thing is it's very measurable and very easy to measure if it is working or um, not working. But in a, in a cash perspective, uh, you need to allocate your resources in a wise way and you can be more aggressive or more conservative on hiring uh, and uh, on, on defining the, the targets that you want to achieve. So how do you manage this trade-off of being more aggressive or I mean hiring more people and putting yourself in pressure because the cash flow will be uh, kind of burning much quicker. And if you don't start meeting the, the sales quotas, this could put, put the company in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Good point, good point. So we, we are fortunate enough, well, two things. So we are fortunate enough to have a very good sales operations organization in our company um, who have really been instrumental in structuring our growth, which is very important because, you know, I, I you know, from my career, obviously I'm, I'm very uh, well experienced in building teams, putting the structure in place, motivating, coaching um, and, and client acquisition. Um, but as you saw, I mean, as you know, people like me are very much about going ho, bull, 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 but we need structure below us. And I think it's important to have the sales operations people in place to, to provide that structure. So um, one thing I could definitely say is, you know, put in place a plan. Um, and the plan has to be comprehensive, but also very realistic. Um, and there's always going to be a balance between being pessimistic and, real, and, and over, you know, over enthusiastic. Set something which is realistic, and then have uh, you know management checkpoints as far as you know how is progress progressing, and are we on track? And have those KPIs that you can measure. Is the pipeline growing at the right rate? Is the hiring coming in at the right rate as far as people being added to the process? Have you provided enough time for people to? get onboarded and actually be, be able to contribute to the actual uh, business. So I think the plan's important, realism in the plan's important, measurement of the plan's important. Um, and then, you know, if you get those factors right, then you also need to, you know, if, if one of those leading indicators are not coming to, you know, building up, you need to be able to be able to jump on that and then say, you know, can we contribute to it? Because I think you're right. I think a lot of companies take a bit of a haphazard view to planning. 
and they don't really check in to see the progress and they don't really uh, understand um, you know what are they building and why they're building and then like you say before you know it you've got an organization that just can't sustain itself so there's a bit of that that needs to be put in place and and impact on on the morale of the team with scaling and then needs to downsize uh, to scale again later it can create a um, a recessive or um, a recession circle uh, sure. in in the confidence uh, sure. of the team, uh, which can be uh, very dangerous. So uh, we are on time, and uh, I would love to close the the podcast with uh, one of my favorite questions, which is: If you would have the opportunity to meet uh, Tion ten uh, years ago. <laughs> uh, give him an advice and have a frank conversation face to face with him. What would you tell him? Oh my God, that's Just a question. That's a question. That's a question. Um, <laughs> what would I tell him? What would I tell him? That's a good question. Um, I would tell him to have invested more money in property. <laughs> okay, that's a very good answer. I never got that one. So <laughs> why? I need to ask why. <laughs> why? Well, I mean, you know, we've had some good growth in property over the last uh, last few years in the UK, and uh, I think you know, if I look back, I, there were a few opportunities I should have put some money in more property. I did put some money in property, but I should have put more money in property. Uh, you know, maybe leveraged myself more on the on the property side. But no, that's just one that came to life there as well. I mean, from a career perspective, I think. Um, You know, I think I think risk taking is important. Um, I think maybe you know maybe you also need to know in your you know careers sometimes not to stay too long. I think there's also a view of you know get to a point where you you've got everything out of the opportunity and then make a conscious move to move on. I, you know, I can say there's there's maybe one or two parts of my career where I think I I could have I could have made a more conscious jump quicker. But you know, you learn from these things and you get value in other ways. So all good. Amazing, Tion. Thanks so much for uh, this amazing uh, conversation. So many lessons, uh, so many points to be applied. And uh, to our audience, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you want to get to know more uh, about what some of the best scale-up executives in the world are doing to scale their companies worldwide, uh, feel free to, to, to visit us at scaleupvalley.com uh, slash community and you would get 62 episodes today to, to watch across different functions, different geographies from some of the best companies in the world. Tion, thank you so much. Pleasure, and uh, thank you. see you all next week. Thank you very much. <laughs>